You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hey, feisties. Let me start again this week by saying thank you, thank you, thank you. For all the kind notes, the emails, the positive reviews, I am honored, humbled, and frankly, really psyched to be able to reach so many like-minded active women. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And do me a favor, if you like the show, spread the word, screenshot it, share it on your socials, review it wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth is everything. And the more that we can grow this community, the more awesome guests that I can get on this thing. So thanks a lot. Spread the word. Speaking of awesome guests, this week's guest is the legendary Dr. Mary Jane Minkin. And she really is legendary. She is a clinical professor in the Department of Obstetrics, Gynecology, and Reproductive Sciences at Yale University School of Medicine, and has been in private practice in New Haven, Connecticut for more than 35 years. She has won more awards than I can list and is an authority on all things related to hormone therapy, which we talk a lot about on this show. Uh, I've gotten lots and lots of questions about hormone therapy. They will be answered here. Um, Basically, this is a hit parade of symptoms and solutions from heavy periods to hot flashes to debilitating whole body achiness, what to do when your vagina hurts, like everything you can imagine. Uh, Mary Jane has been one of my go-to resources for 25 years. I started interviewing her, oh my Lord, when I was like 28 years old at Prevention Magazine, when I had no business writing about menopause, quite frankly. But she is super informative, straight shooting, an avid exerciser herself. She runs, she rides, she goes to the gym, and she's hilarious. Uh, Speaking of hilarious, I don't know where you get your podcast, but it's worth heading to our Feisty Menopause Facebook or Instagram page to check out the photo on the show tile for this one. Uh, Mary Jane is posing in front of a row of some very interesting old gynecological instruments. And uh, yeah, they're made of glass. Oh, the good old days. So without any further ado, let's get to the interview. I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, I am so excited to have you here, uh, Mary Jane. We 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 have spoken many times yes. over the past twenty years, many yes. many times. Yes. I've I've called on you as a trusted source. I appreciate your time again. It's interesting. In all the years that I've called you, we've often spent a lot of time trying to tell women to exercise, right? Absolutely. Like that, like trying to Absolutely. convince them to exercise, like just do something like just do anything a little bit. And now I have the pleasure of talking to you about women who want to just do nothing but exercise in many cases, right? It's fabulous. It's fabulous. They're already super active, maybe even competitively active, and they want to stay active. Absolutely. So with that in mind, uh, now they're running into these barriers that are sort of getting in their way of what they of staying as active as they would like. So Mm -hmm. I would love to draw on your rich expertise and ask you some questions, you know, regarding some of the most common barriers that I've been hearing as far as, you know, women, women in, in sport. 
You ready for that? Of course. And I, it is a pleasure to be here with you. And I hope I may be of assistance. And it's been a pleasure to work with you all these years, Celine. So uh, thank you for helping all these ladies. So we like yeah, that. Yeah, no, no, no problem. It's going to be great. Um, let's start with heavy periods. Mm-hmm. Because that is one thing that comes up uh, an awful lot when women, well, until they're postmenopausal, right? Their periods sometimes uh, turn into a kind of a nightmare scenario. And, and mm-hmm. this can be a really problematic for everybody, but especially our endurance ladies, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you shed some light on why this happens and, and maybe some solutions? Well, of course, there's there are a lot of causes for heavy periods. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, you know, I think we're trying to focus mostly on the perimenopausal crowd with heavy periods. But of course, right. there can be, and those are really hormonal issues, the okay. origin. And, you know, I like to discuss physiology because I think it makes it much clearer to people why is this strange thing happening to me. 100%. Of course, there are also non-hormonal issues like anatomy issues. You may say, what the heck am I talking about? Well, what we're talking about is in perimenopause, and let's start with those folks first. Okay. Okay. Menopause basically is a pooping out of the ovaries. That's what it is, pure right, and simple. Right. And it's not linear and it goes up and down and all over the place. But the key thing that happens is as our ovaries are pooping out, we don't ovulate as well as mm-hmm. we used to. And that's the first thing that happens. Okay. When we ovulate, we make progesterone, okay, okay. which is the hormone that the ovary makes from ovulation. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that goes actually with menopause, as you head into menopause and the so-called perimenopausal transition, you know, okay, mm-hmm. is that we ovulate less well, we make less progesterone. Okay. We're still making a good wad of estrogen. Now that's coming down too, but the progesterone right. is the first thing to get hit. Now, what I want people to think about is the, the role of these uh, hormones. And okay. if you think about the uterus as like a lawn, my rich garden, your rich garden, think of a lawn. Okay. And what happens, and this is, I'm stealing from my friend, Nanette Santoro, who's chair at Colorado. She uses this example all the time. She says, I tell my patients, estrogen is like fertilizer and okay. progesterone is the lawnmower. Oh. Okay. So if you still okay. got you still got fertilizer going, mm-hmm. okay, but you're not mowing it on a regular oh, basis. Okay. You end up with, <laughs> I see you, where we're going. You got it, and that's what you got. You end up with overgrowth, and you end up with funky bleeding because the, wow. the lawnmower, mm-hmm. the policeman, whatever you want to call it, okay, mm-hmm. is not going on. So this is a problem. So anyway, and this and this is erratic. So sometimes you'll get a period two weeks apart. Sometimes you get a period six weeks apart. Then six weeks, you know, it's all over the place. Okay. So for women in perimenopause who are getting these funky bleeds, okay, we mm-hmm. can just give progesterone. Okay, pure and simple. Okay. You don't need estrogen. Progesterone, and you know, you just need a gynecologist who can help guide your, you know, healthcare provider or whatever who can guide you with progesterone usage to take care of this. Okay, not too okay. tricky. Now, another option that we have in perimenopause with these crazy bleeds mm-hmm. is, and for don't forget to the people who are listening here, these are healthy women. I'll bet you we have very few smokers listening to us right now. Yeah, so yeah, I, I, would, I hope like nobody. At this point. Nobody. We hope not. You've weeded them out. So anyway, so the key thing is we have very healthy women who are in good shape, who are mm-hmm. very good candidates for birth control pills. Low hmm. dose birth control pills can be a blessing in the perimenopause. Now, mm-hmm. why? They got a lot of progesterone, synthetic progesterone. Right. You know, okay. right. So they help control the bleeding. The other thing they do is they shut your ovaries down. Boom. That's it. 
you know, okay, night-night to the ovaries. Well, that's okay. Mm -hmm. It does not prolong the menopausal process, you know, okay. okay? That will continue at whatever rate it was going to continue. You just don't have to deal with the sequelae and the consequences with the funky bleeding. So this is not bad. So you got a lot of progestin in the pills. It's controlling the bleeding, you know, mm -hmm. okay? And then the pills also have estrogen in them, low dose if we're sticking with a low dose pill. So mm -hmm. you're getting estrogen if you are getting the hot flashes, the night sweats, the sleep, you know, craziness, yeah, yeah. the mood stuff, all that fabulous stuff. So a low dose pill can be a blessing because it's got estrogen, not not a lot, a little bit, but it also has got progesterone so it controls the screwy bleeding. Okay. Now we have another option for perimenopausal ladies with funky bleeding if they don't want to take estrogen or whatever. A Mirena IUD is an IUD that's coated with progestin. Yeah, okay. Huh. So you okay. pop a lawnmower right in the uterus. <laughs> That's what you're doing. There goes the lawnmower. We're good. So the key thing is you control the bleeding and you shove that son, that son of a gun in there. You're there for, it's good for five or six years. So wow. you don't have okay. to worry. They it could get you all the way through the Exactly. The way through it can pull you all the, through the whole transition. Now, the other nice thing, and also, let's face it, in perimenopause, you can still get pregnant. I know you've talked about, about that. that. Last yeah, time I talked exactly. to you, you had like three women who were 30, 46, right? 46 when they got pregnant. Yes, 47 when they delivered. So, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, oh, boy, it's right. And these were not infertility people. These were, oops, pregnancies. So the key thing right. to remember is that you can still get pregnant. So if you pop an IUD in there, you won't get pregnant. You'll have right. plenty of progestin in there if you got the marina in there. Yep. And the other thing is if at some point you want to add some estrogen, say, okay, now I'm getting hot flashes and night sweats mm -hmm. and all that nasty stuff, mm -hmm. you can take some estrogen and it's fine because you have the progestin already there. Ta -da. Wow. So this is easy. This is easy. Okay. But so, I'm, gonna, I'm going to pause you because yes. I know that there are a lot of women in my generation who are listening to you who are saying, what about my breasts? What about heart? Like, you know, all that stuff that we, we all got scared mm -hmm. about HRT, hormone mm -hmm. replacement therapy, right? Mm -hmm. Like all of us, the women's initiative study, like all that stuff scared a lot of women. Okay. Um, I feel like you've got a, a lot of history with that. You've been involved in some of this research. Can you can you talk a little sure. bit about the safety of what you're talking sure, about? Sure, sure. Of course, the thing to remember when we're putting in when we're giving somebody birth control pills in the perimenopause, mm -hmm. okay, mm -hmm. they're already making a good amount of estrogen on their own. So I'm not giving them probably too much added estrogen. I'm shutting mm -hmm. down their ovaries, okay? So I'm giving them instead of as opposed to additional, okay? Right, right. When their ovaries are going night-night, I'm not giving them estrogen. I'm not giving them extra estrogen, okay? And the key thing is if you look at the literature on birth control pills, Mm -hmm. low-dose pills. There is very, I'm not going to tell you there aren't any studies that show a minimal increased risk of breast cancer, but mm -hmm. most of the studies do not show an increased risk of breast cancer. So we're not talking about giving these people meds forever, and we're talking about giving them, and basically I'm shutting down their ovaries and just giving them a little estrogen in lieu of that. Right, right. So that's sort of what we're doing with the pill. So basically, you know, it's it's a minimal increased risk, if any, at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Many studies no, that, show none. I, yeah, that's that's just an important distinction because I think a lot of us get that, have that burned into our brains that, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, so we got on. options. We got options. Now, the other thing we have to, before we get off the topic of heavy periods, though, we okay. have to remember that there are anatomical causes of heavy periods. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if somebody's got a funky fibroid, which is an exuberant growth of the smooth muscle wall of the uterus, benign, mm -hmm. totally benign condition, mm -hmm. but this is like a little bump in the middle of the uterus, that can disrupt the lining of the uterus and give you heavy bleeding too. 
Okay. Now, the nice thing is that actually, like the morena, if it's a small enough fibroid, will take care of that bleeding also. So we have, it's, it, even if it's a little fibroid, it's the culprit. Are those any more or less common with age? Uh, the, answer, the answer is they are common with age, but the key thing to remember is if you can get yourself by yourself time to get through the menopause, mm-hmm. fibroids shrink. Oh, okay. So if you can if you can do without any major intervention, you know, okay, right. they tend to cure themselves because with the lower, lower, lower levels of estrogen that we make, that the fibroids are dependent on estrogen for their growth and their maintenance. They're like M&Ms, the fibroids estrogen is. So anyway... <laughs> Yeah, you know, we all like M&Ms. So anyway, so the key thing is that the fibroids, if we deprive them of their M&Ms, they go away. So most of the time, they, sh- they certainly shrink even if they don't disappear totally. Excellent. That's good news. That's it good is. news. I think so. So let's move on to maybe a more exterior issue in a little bit of a way. Um, vaginal dryness mm-hmm. becomes a thing. And it can, uh, it can make... It hurt when you spend a long time in your saddle, I have That's learned. The, the, saddle, <laughs> the saddle of your bicycle and also the saddle of your horse. I had a horseback rider a few oh. months ago. Yep. And she likes to ride a lot. And she says, you know, it's getting a lot more comf- uncomfortable for me to ride That's my so horsey. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I said, you know what? I said, my bike riders tell me that. And I think that she was my first horseback rider that told me that. But she said, oh, no. And then we gave her some vaginal estrogens and she's very happy. And she's right. So that is that what you're going to tell me we should <laughs> yeah, be doing? Well, if- that's one of the things we're going to talk mm-hmm. about. We have lots there. We have a ton of options. We have tons. What's of the options. cause of that dryness? Oh, is that's it easy. Is it no, no. Warm- well, it is circulation in a sense. You get less blood flow to the pelvis. That's true mm-hmm. in menopause. The, the circulation does decrease, but the formation of fluids basically, the, and the, the cells dry up basically in okay. the vagina when there's no estrogen around. So what happens uh, is that the, there's less moisture, and that's a direct function of less estrogen. Okay. That's what's there. Hot flashes, by the way, are not related to the absolute value of estrogen. That's more a fluctuation of estrogen. You make a lot one day, a little bit the next, whatever. That tends to precipitate the hot flashes. The the dryness is more a function of absolute low level. And the one thing that's tricky, okay, for people to remember, hi listeners, anyway, is that the dryness can occur later on, way after the hot flashes. The hot flashes may even be gone by the time you get dryness for some people. Gotcha. And so some people don't even associate this as a menopause change. Ah, okay. They're like, oh, well, I don't know why I'm getting dry, but well, when did you have your last period? Three years ago. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> guess what? This is a sort of a later consequence, whereas the hot flashes may well be getting better by that point. So that's Are there an any interesting... simple topical solutions? Sure, absolutely. Topical solutions. Um, basically, there are several. Um, and again, one thing I want to mention to our listeners. Sure. There are moisturizers and there are lubricants, which are two separate categories. You know, okay? okay, that's important because Moist- I don't yeah, know. Yeah, difference. most people don't. Moisturizers okay. are things you put in the vagina on an ongoing basis, like two to three times a week. You know, okay? and like they, a lotion or like a, a gel. Like a lotion or a gel, exactly. And they sort of sit there and recruit moisture into the cells. You know, okay. okay. Then there are lubricants to be used at the time of sexual activity. Okay. You know, okay. Right. And like KY a, jelly that everyone like KY is jelly, with. exactly. Okay. That's, that's everybody's familiar with that. And there right. are a whole and there are a gazillion. And the one thing that I strongly would encourage our listeners to do is when you buy a lubricant, don't buy the giant economy size, please. Because some people <laughs> are sensitive to some a perfume okay. in it or a scent or something like that. And I don't want you and that's the most delicate tissue in the body is the vulvovaginal tissue. So I don't want you getting irritated by something you're allergic to or sensitive to. So get a small amount, make sure it's comfortable for you, you like it, 
and then you can go ahead and use the um, you know get a big big box of it and stuff like that. Is there something that is common like uh, other ingredients well, they should look for? Well, some people are into these things like parabens that they're anxious about parabens right. and stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's just you can be sensitive to even a small amount of anything in there. So okay. just make sure it agrees with you. That's the key thing. So as far as the moisturizers, probably the, mo the most popular moisturizer out there. And these are over the counter. You don't need a prescription for any of okay. this stuff. There's no hormonal component. Is there's a brand called Replens, R-E-P-L-E-N-S, um, which is a uh, basically a, uh, a, a substance that sort of recruits moisture. It's a gel. It comes prepackaged. You scoot it into the vagina two, three times a week. You know, okay. Mm -hmm. Available over the counter at, you know, CVS or Dwayne Reed, whatever. And then another brand that's out there that you get online is a newer product to the U.S. It's been in, in Europe for a while. They're ahead of us on a lot of stuff. Is something <laughs> called Reverie, R-E-V-A-R-E-E, -E -E, which is okay. a hyaluronic acid thing. You know how you put hyaluronic acid on your face? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, some of my patients actually melt these and put it on their face, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> yeah. I have some interesting patients. So anyway, but you can take these Reverie suppositories and pop them in two, three times a week. And they're good for ongoing moisture. And again, using a lubricant at the time of sex can be very helpful as well. Interesting. Okay. All right. And that, that should help like the itching and the dryness and all that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, mm -hmm. and if people are happy with that, you know, okay, now some people use coconut oil as a lubricant and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And if you want to mm -hmm. use it, it doesn't bother you. It's okay. It's perfectly all right. Um, some people, and this is an old remedy that some GYNs actually use, is Crisco. To the vulva. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. They take Crisco and wow. to the vulva and it gets absorbed and it moisturizes. So it's an old GYN trick. So if you want, you know, wow. all natural products, Crisco to the vulva, coconut oil is a lubricant. People have used them. But I, you know, I think people tend to prefer some of these other products. <laughs> anyway, but we got stuff out there. So all right. So let's say, you know, you're, those, the, the more over-the-counter remedies, whatever, haven't worked for you, you're still uncomfortable. Then there are a whole bunch of other prescription remedies that we have, which are okay. fine. There are a bunch of different estrogen products, you know, okay, to use. There are suppositories, there's creams, there's ring. I was going to say, there's the ring, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, yeah. all, they're all reasonable things to use. The, um, the thing about the vaginal estrogens to remember is vaginal estrogen is a very different issue than blood estrogen levels, in other words, systemic mm -hmm. estrogens. And the North American Menopause Society and the American College of OBGYNs, my organizations, mm -hmm. um, have written official opinion papers on this topic and with data to back it up to say that the amount of estrogen that gets absorbed from vaginal products is so small that women who have breast cancer may use them. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah. That's so, really good to know. Yeah. So uh, not these are not people who are worried about getting breast cancer. These are people who have breast yeah, cancer. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. No, that's 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 great news. That's uh so, so Because even you, though heart disease kills more women, you know that women like breast cancer terrifies. Absolutely. Women, it terrifies right? and the key thing is that they can safely use vaginal estrogens without a problem and they can ride their bikes again. Which we know, Which, and we do know that exercise is very important for a good prognosis for breast cancer. We know that there's a lot of literature yeah. out there yeah, that shows sure. that exercise is very good for preventing recurrences of breast cancer and stuff like that. That's that's something good to know. So we want them riding their bikes. Yes, we do. Along those lines, let's talk. Let's move a little bit around the the anatomy and talk about urinary incontinence that can happen. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I know women who don't want to go to CrossFit because they have to jump rope and that, you know, that's going to cause a problem or 
you know, running is all of a sudden an issue. Like, is that also related to the dryness or is there something else going on? Like, why, why does this start to occur? And again, help us. <laughs> <laughs> it does happen. And is it related? Yes, it is. Yeah, okay. Not only is it related to incontinence, it's also related to urinary tract infections. Oh, oh, yeah. So what's going on? And indeed, just as a sidelight, the old term for vaginal dryness, the fancy term was VVA or vulvovaginal atrophy. The fancy new term is GSM, which stands for genitourinary syndrome of menopause. And I like it because it's got the urinary in there. Right, right. Because the urinary tract is very involved with this dryness issue. A couple of things, what's going on? Again, we're talking about levels of estrogen going down, down, down. You know, okay. And the tissue that lines the vagina is very similar to the tissue that lines the bladder. So when the vagina is getting dry, the bladder is getting dry. Okay. Okay. So that's what's going on. And so a couple of things happen that the the muscles also have these receptors and the muscles get weaker. Okay, Mm -hmm. and the tissue gets drier, it gets more irritated. And then as far as the infection issue on top of that is when the vagina gets dry, okay, the cells that line the vagina lose glycogen. Well, you may say, who cares? You care. Because when you're losing the glycogen in the cells, the good guy bacteria, the lactobacilli, the probiotics people talk about, die off. Okay. and Because they can't... They, they, they can't eat exactly oh, that's they, so love, interesting. Okay. they love glycogen that's like again m&ms the m&ms to the to the lactobacilli in the vagina is your glycogen okay when the cells lose glycogen you lose lactobacilli what's bad about that and this is a strange concept for women lactobacilli make acid okay acid in the vagina is good acid in the right. stomach may not be good but acid in the vagina is good so mm-hmm. what you want is you want an acidic vagina because that chases away the bad bacteria like the E. coli and the Proteus and all those nasty guys. Okay. So you don't want the nasty guys. You want the lactobacilli being there. So if you have a glycogen rich vagina, you'll have more happy lactobacilli. Okay. And then what happens? So what, what are you setting up? We're setting up a perfect storm when a woman gets dry because she has nastier bacteria in her vagina and her bladder is thinner. Her walls are thinner and they're more invadable. Okay. So we're setting up for why some women get their first urinary tract infections once they've gone through menopause. They may never have had a urinary tract infection Hmm. before. They get them when they go through menopause. And you've heard of older ladies getting urosepsis and stuff. Well, that's what sets them up for it. Now, the incontinence is also related because those tissues all have estrogen receptors there. Mm -hmm. So we have some very nice data that shows that vaginal estrogens will help for the incontinence issue. You know, okay. So if somebody's having incontinence issues, throw a little vaginal estrogen and you'll probably your bladder and, and pelvic floor will be happier. Now, of mm-hmm. course, the other thing I would strongly encourage everybody to do is Kegel exercises. Oh, that, that's always, interesting. Always okay. a wonderful thing to do. And you're never too old or too young to do Kegels. I think 12-year-olds should be taught how to do Kegels too, <laughs> because it's always good to keep your bottom in good shape. And as far as when to do a Kegel, whenever you think about it. For example, I just did one. You can't tell. Um, right. Yeah. So you can do <laughs> I'm doing them too right now. Exactly. <laughs> when you're in a, your car and you're stopped at a red light, do some mm-hmm. Kegels. Otherwise, you're wasting time. You know, okay. And the trucker in the truck next to you isn't going to look, oh, she's doing Kegels. You know, Nobody has any out. idea. They don't know. So you can do Kegels. So that's a good thing to do also. So if you're developing incontinence, 
Kegels are good, you know, okay, vaginal estrogen is good. And I'm going to tell one thing that all of your ladies are doing already, but I want to encourage them to encourage their friends to talk about okay. weight loss. Okay. Okay. And what's amazing, and the, the literature is very, very good on this, you know, okay, a lot of papers show the same result, that if you lose 5% of your body weight, which is not much. Which is not much. You improve your continence by 50%, 5 zero. Get out of here. Yeah, yeah. The literature is very clear. Tons of papers out there. So if you can lose 5%, you will improve your incontinence 50%. So let me ask um, what may be an ignorant question, but is the is that urgency that kind of comes related to incontinence? Or are they different both. things? Both. Okay. Both. Okay. And the key, yeah, we should clarify for people. Like all of a sudden you have to go and you... Really have yeah, to go. I yeah. remember my mom like pulling over yeah. at like and just running into the woods when we were driving. Of course, so <laughs> absolutely. Or the way I talk about it is when you come in the house, you have a bag of groceries in your arms and you're trying to fish around for the key. You know, it's like I gotta go when you're fishing around <laughs> yep. for the key. Yep. And that's urgent continence. There is also a phenomenon called stress incontinence, is when you leak and it's just because you know your cough, sneeze, leak, which is pressure on your bottom. Pressure jump on your rope. Ladder, jump rope. Is that's that's okay. stress incontinence. Okay. Whereas the I gotta go is more urge. But you will actually improve both stress and urge by five percent body weight loss. Wow. And and can you give us a very quick snippet on the proper way to do a Kegel? Sure. For those of us who easiest way to to, to, to try right now is go to the bathroom. <laughs> While you're sitting there, like, While you're I'll sitting try. there, go <laughs> to the bathroom, okay, and stop your stream. Okay. Oh, okay. And then the muscles you have contracted basically is doing a Kegel. Another gotcha. good way to do it is next time you see your gynecological health care provider, be it your doc or midwife or nurse, or whatever, is while they're in there checking, do an exam on you, say, let's check my Kegel tone. Okay. okay. And with and I check that all the time on my patients. If somebody's been having some incontinence, I'll say, okay, squeeze my fingers. Right, right. And yep. what's interesting is that some of my patients will say, I am, and I'm like, you're not doing anything. <laughs> They've right. got no tone. And then sometimes you'll feel this great squeeze, and you'll say, you're doing it right. I just want you to keep doing it, and you'll do okay. And they don't need any balls, rods, devices, cones. They, they can if they want to. Um, and some people find those helpful. And God bless okay. them. If it's helpful, that's fine. But you don't have to have that. And the other thing that I ask people, my patients to envisage in their heads, you know, okay, I want you to think of your pelvic floor as an elevator, okay? And okay, I do this okay. with my fingers in their vagina. Yeah. Say, okay, I want you to think of your pelvic floor as an elevator, and I want you to raise the elevator, raise the elevator, oh, elevator okay. up, okay. elevator up, hold the elevator, hold the elevator. Uh, <laughs> top, elevator floor. top floor. Top <laughs> floor, okay. elevator come down. It's these little tricks that help, and sometimes they're worthwhile, they're good. Now, one yeah. other thing relating to bladders that a lot of ladies note, okay, and the urologists, God bless them, have a fancy term for this. A lot of my ladies say they pee, they think they're empty, and they get up and two minutes later. Happens to me all the time. Happens to lots of ladies. It's very common. Very common. It's really annoying. I well before races I accept it because it's just nerves. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, like, but it happens a lot. But sometimes it happens just other times. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. It happens. What a is lot. that about? So what it is, it's again, it's bladder dysfunction sort of thing, maybe partially related to less estrogen, it could be. But the urologists have a fancy term for it. They say to practice a double void technique. Now, what is a double oh, void technique? I'm dying technique? to know what this is. Well, okay. You see, now the, the guys are sort of prepared for this because if you know, like all guys have like on the back of the toilet some magazines like Field and Stream or Car yeah, yeah. and Driver or whatever, you know, those kind of stuff that they read. So anyway, I think we could have National Geographic or whatever you want to read. I don't care. Um, but just keep it on the back of your toilet. And what you want to do is pee, 
mm-hmm. sit there, get the magazine for a couple of minutes, pee again, and then leave. Hmm. Okay. So just build it into your routine. Okay. And the urologists call it a double void technique. <laughs> So what are you actually doing? Like, are you just relaxing just, things? Yeah, you're relaxing and you're letting things okay. settle in and then you'll pee out the rest of the stuff that's there. It, it beats turning right back around and going into the bathroom. Yes, again. exactly. Just sit there. <laughs> but keep a magazine or whatever you right. like to look at, you know, just so you can cool. look at your cell phone or whatever. Something right, like right. That. Yeah. Excellent. So we talked a little bit about hot flashes, but I, I, I'm curious, you know, I've seen some literature that exercise helps maybe minimize them, but certainly... I can attest that I've woken up at 3 a.m. in a pool of sweat. Um, yeah. It yeah. doesn't stop. Yeah. Um, you know, what is the relationship between hot flashes and exercise? And do they ever occur during exercise? Yes. For some? Okay. Yes, okay. they do. They do. And the key thing is acutely while you're exercising, exercising is going to make hot flashes better. And I would never lie to people. As much as I want people to exercise and lose weight, and I do, but I can't lie to them and say exercise will acutely make your hot flashes better. However, right. while they're happening, exactly. like if you have a hot flash, like going for Zero. a jog is not exactly. going to do a no, bit of no. a difference. But okay. what I can tell people, and again, physiology, I always go back to physiology, think of what's going on. It makes things make sense. You know, okay. When you, it, when you get a hot flash, you get this temperature, you know, raises centrally. You have to dissipate it. Okay. Right. If you have more insulation, Okay. Oh, I see. It's harder to dissipate. Mm -hmm. So women who are heavier have worse hot flashes because they can't dissipate the heat as well. Right. Right. So if you lose weight, okay, you will get rid of hot flashes better. Okay. You will suffer from less hot flashes. The other thing, again, this is not pertaining to your ladies, smoking makes for worse hot flashes. Right. Vasoconstriction and stuff like that. So smoking makes it worse. Being overweight makes it worse. And if you can lose the weight, so if you can say, okay, the hot flashes aren't going to be better acutely, but if I can lose the weight, if I can lose ten pounds, my hot flashes rate to be better. I'll do it. You know, okay. But there are plenty of lean, lean women. Oh, that yeah, absolutely, have. absolutely, yeah. there are. But as I said, if you happen to be overweight, losing right. weight may may well help you. But I will never lie to you and say acutely the exercise is going to make your hot flashes go away. If you are, if you already have, are doing everything and you're at your optimum weight and all that, um, what can you is do? there anything yeah. that, yeah, Bunch going of, back to estrogen yeah. or progesterone, No, no, right? no, we got, okay. I'll okay. get there eventually, but I got lots of tricks that I can do. Okay. Then. Lots of tricks. Okay. So one simple thing is, and some people just don't think about it, layered dressing. Okay. So when you, you know, in this season, of course you have to wear layered dressing anyway, but right. wear a shell and then wear a sweater right. over it. You know, something like that. If it gets hot and you're getting a hot flash, take off the sweater. You still got a shell. You'll be fine. You know, okay? At night, you know, okay, you want to basically sleep with an electric blanket with dual controls. You keep your side on zero. Your partner can sleep (laughs) with 70 degrees or whatever. The key thing is you want as cool an environment for sleep as you can. Open the windows, you know, get as much. And it's the first four hours, by the way, of sleep that are the most crucial as far as coolness of the temperature. Oh, okay. okay. So if you that can keep sense. your temperature down for the first four hours, you're doing very good. You know, well, sometimes okay. even I find putting my feet out. Yeah, like, that, that's helpful. Like, that's just my that's thing. It's like if I can have my feet outside in the air, that that helps. That's, that's definitely helpful. If the other thing is, if you wake up with sweats at night, if you can mm-hmm. keep a clean, dry nightshirt, nightgown, whatever, next to the bed, 
you know, yep. get up, rip off the, cold, the the sweaty stuff, you know, okay, mm -hmm. put on something nice and clean and dry and go back to bed. If you have it right there, you don't have to go searching around and shoveling through the closets and stuff like that. It's like putting out your workout clothes ahead of time. Exactly. Put them on, you don't have to fiddle around with that. That's like have, so Exactly. That's a good right thing there. to do. So things are good there. The other thing is most women know their triggers, you know, okay, and if it's a glass of red wine or spicy food or a cup of mm -hmm. hot tea, you know, so if you know your triggers, you can limit your triggers you know okay or you can say okay i really want that glass of red wine i'm going to get a hot flash but i know i'm going to get it you know yep. okay so you're prepared. I'll put on a tank top exactly right. <laughs> exactly get the fans so, going so you're ready right. you're ready right yeah. now you're fine so the key thing is that those are easy things to do very easy things to do to make your mm -hmm. life easier now as far as remedies as far as things that can help and stuff like that there are some herbal products that are very popular Okay. Um, one herbal product that's very popular is from Germany um, called Remy Femin, R-E-M-I-F-E-M-I-N. And mm -hmm. the key thing is it's black cohosh, but unfortunately, okay. and the reason I'm sending you to Germany, you know, you, can only, you only have to go to the pharmacy. They have it at CVS and stuff like that. But the reason you want to get a German product for something like, uh, you know, black cohosh is that the, the herbs are regulated in Germany. Okay, whereas unfortunately right. in this country, I could go dig some dirt up, tell you it's black cohosh and nobody would stop me. And that's yep. not good. You know, okay, so you want to get products from a place where things are regulated. And there's a lot of literature about the, the isopropanolic extraction process for the black cohosh mm -hmm. that they use mm -hmm. in Germany. And it's a good product. They also make a product called Remy Femin Goodnight, which hmm. has some sleep herbs in it also. Okay, so if you're really plagued okay. by night sweats and waking up and stuff like that, you right. can get the sleep herbs with the with the black cohosh, and it can be very popular. It, by the way, is very popular in German breast cancer clinics. We use it for our breast cancer patients a lot uh, because of the data from the German breast cancer clinics um, that it's not estrogenic, it's fine, and it's, okay. it's very popular over there, and you can get it here. It's not a big deal. Another product that's very popular, and this one happens to be popular with French oncologists. I don't know why. It's a Swedish product extract and it's called relizen r-e-l-i-z-e-n and you okay. get that online and it's basically it's very po again another product that's popular with oncologists not estrogenic at all they like it a lot so those are you know two products that we use a fair amount and they're over the counter they're non-prescription and those mm -hmm. can be very helpful for you um, there's a con there's a, some conflict about the product soy Okay. Right. I was going to ask about that. And a soy product out there that's used regularly is something called Femorel, uh, which is, again, a European product, uh, very popular in Europe, which is a soy extract. Um, and just eating soy, you know, eat your tofu and edamames and stuff So like drinking that. soy milk is not, like, that's okay. not really going to give it. Yeah? Okay. It's okay. It's fine. Okay. And the key thing is that the, con the, the controversy about soy is that soy contains weak plant estrogens called isoflavones. Yep. Mm -hmm. And the concern is, oh, it's got the word estrogen, it must be bad. You know, okay. And the answer is no. It probably acts actually much more like the drug tamoxifen, which, and it's because these are weak plant estrogens, and they probably block stronger estrogens around. Right. So that it's actually quite reasonable to use it. Um, and that, so it's very controversial. And the way I look at how, how dangerous could soy be, if you look at the country of Japan, which has the highest soy intake in the world, they also have the lowest breast cancer rate. So I don't think it can be but so bad. And of course now Japanese women have very good health habits in general and right, they're slim right. and things like that. But, you know, they, they do eat a lot of soy and they don't have much breast cancer comparatively. So 
you know, that's sort of one way to look at it. So those are options that people have which are out there, which are not, no, not medications, not prescriptions or anything like that, and may well help. You've mentioned, and, and I, have to, I have to ask, you've mentioned weight a, a number of times, and quite ironically, one of the first things that people lament when they go into these menopausal years is like, all of a sudden, they're putting on weight, right? So, like, and I, I watched one of your videos where you're saying, like, five to eight pounds is kind of normal. Like, that, it seems like you're doing the same thing that you've always been doing, and all of a sudden, like, your body composition is changing. Yes, it does in general. And there's actually some nice experimental work showing that as well. There's a lady named Wendy Court, K-O-H-R-T. You may want to get her uh, visiting with you at some point. Excellent. She's a, okay. she's, she's a research uh, person. And she actually, she actually um, takes out the ovaries and rats and puts them on a little treadmill, a little rat wheel, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> so she exercises them. She does all sorts of weird stuff. But anyway, but she actually has shown that when you take out ovaries from rats, they gain weight. You know, and stuff like that. So even, you know, and you're not huh. eating cookies, you know, or anything Yeah, like right, that. right, right. It's so, not about that. So, you know, there is something metabolic going on. Now, the key thing is, so the most important thing is I try to get on my patients who are, you know, are fabulous people, exercising all the time, doing good nutrition and stuff like that, and they're like, they're ready to kill themselves because they've gained five pounds. And I'm like, it's not your fault. Relax. You know, we'll talk about how to take care of it, but don't, you're not, you don't blame yourself. This is not a big right. deal. So, right. you know, I want to get that across to, to our listeners that, you know, you may be doing everything right and you still may gain five pounds. Um, however, the other thing, though, the other thing you see is by people coming and saying, oh, I hate menopause. Well, why do you hate menopause? Oh, I've gained 40 pounds. No. Menopause will not make you gain 40 pounds. Right, right. <laughs> if you're on your bike, you wouldn't gain 40 Five pounds, eight pounds? Yes, 40 pounds. So anyway, so that these people, as I said, should not be convinced that they're gaining so much weight because just of menopause, menopause will make you gain some weight. Is that um, intractable? I mean, is there anything less that you... Yeah, there are some things you can do less less intake and more exercise, but it's hard. <laughs> the, the, you know, old, the, old, the old same, advice. The same advice. Yeah. Now, the other question that people always ask, though, is, well, I don't want, or comment, I don't want to take estrogen hormones because it's going to make me gain weight. Yeah, okay. Right. And the answer is it doesn't. Actually, if you look at women who gain, who take estrogen versus those who don't, mm -hmm. women who gain weight, average weight gain during menopause is five to eight pounds ballpark okay. going through the transition. Now, that's the bad news. The good news is once you get to the other side, once you're in full menopause, full-blown menopause, mm -hmm. you're not going to keep on gaining that five to eight pounds and stuff like that. Gotcha. And the transition okay. is where you usually gain the weight. You know, okay. Right, but when right. you get to the other side, things will level off. If you take estrogen instead of five to eight, you'll gain about four to seven pounds. <laughs> you seem to gain right. a little bit less weight taking estrogen, but it's not enough for me to say to somebody, oh, you should take estrogen because you won't gain any weight. No. Right, right, right. And, I, and I've seen, um, and I've, I've actually personally experienced, like when when I've put some more higher intensity exercise mm -hmm. into my schedule, that, that mitigates it quite yeah. a bit. Yeah, and, and can you? Yes, you can. Yes, you it's can. a metabolic thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, you can. So these um, things can happen. <laughs> yeah, no, they, no, they can. It's just like, as we know, like some of this stuff just ends up being, you know, you have to maybe change what you're doing or, yeah. you know, do that kind change of self-examination. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, have you seen, like, I, I'm interested in your, your long view. I mean, do you, have you seen changes in women's attitudes towards menopause over the, over the years that you've been practicing? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, not dramatically, <laughs> but I think so. I think not as dramatic as say childbirth. 
you know, because childbirth people really, you know, never said a word about it. You know, in Victorian England, you know, you didn't talk about childbirth or having a baby or anything like that. You know, you were locked up. And, you know, women, you know, in the 60s and 70s and 80s, people took much more control, you know, as far as, you know, over the process and stuff like that. Menopause is still a little bit more of a hidden topic, you know, to discuss. It really is. And I think part of it is that we unfortunately live in a society that worships youth. And, you know, they talk about these youngins whose names I don't even know these days, some of these young actresses and stuff like that. You know, I mean, yes, people do respect, you know, Meryl Streep, but, you right. know, that and, and, and people, to be honest, in the old days wouldn't have respected Meryl Streep because, you know, she's a little bit older and stuff like that. You know, God forbid, a terrible thing. Um, and so, you know, and when you go through menopause in general, now, again, that's one thing we should mention is age at menopause. Um, but, you know, by going through menopause, it's implying we're getting older this is a bad thing. This is not a good thing to be. Right. Now, in societies where they value wisdom of older people, mm-hmm. you know, okay, menopause is considered a much less taboo topic and stuff like that. And menopausal women can be revered because the menopausal woman is smart. You know, she's she knows stuff and things like that. Whereas if they think some of these youngins are the smart ones and then nobody wants to be, you know, an old person, you know, well, this is that's why menopause gets the shaft part of the time, I think. I think that's mm-hmm. that's a good part of it. But I think it's good that people are coming out and talking about it. I mean, one question that I've gotten from a number of my patients is, have you heard the Michelle Obama podcast on Metaphor? It's so funny, yeah. right? Like she... Her just opening her mouth yeah. about hot flashes yeah. and menopause has yeah. really yep. kicked down the door of some conversations. I think it's terrific. And, you know, God bless her. And, for example, um, you know, I'm an advisor to healthy women. We're having a series of menopause symposium over the next month, you know, for people to mm-hmm. just talk about it. You know, let's talk about it. Let's admit things are, you know, out there and stuff. So to get women more information. And that's part of how I put together my exciting website, madamovery.com. Is I love that. Because... Yeah. It, for information, because people needed mm-hmm. information. And yeah, I, wanna, I, I want people to for, have as much knowledge as they can about it so it's not mysterious and these strange things aren't happening to me. And there are things that we can do to help just about everything. A hundred percent. And for for the listeners who want to go into the deep end of the pool, <laughs> MadamOvery.com goes right. Like she... Um, we, we've done a wonderful job so far, like just, you know, staying in the, in the shallow to medium end of just explaining things. But if you want a deeper dive, you can go to <laughs> madamovery.com and, and get a deeper dive. But, but I do think, you know, like everything you're saying is resonating with me. And one of the reasons I was very compelled to start this is that, uh, especially active women, and especially if they're still sort of competitive, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, even uttering these words is some, is sort of like, oh, that means you must be slowing down you know you must nope. be like all that kind of, yeah. <laughs> i gotta slow down you know and and and, mo- and most people i look around and they're not really slowing down I, I it's i've always contended that women can be pretty competitive later than men can i mean i've lived that myself um but i but you if you look at a lot of the especially the endurance sports mm-hmm. like they're that you, you can keep going for quite a long time. Well, the other thing to remember, there is some data out there now, even with COVID, that shows that women do better than men. Well, that's true. That there's less ICU admissions, they yeah. get less sick, um, and there actually are a couple of protocols going on in this country, one where they're actually giving estrogen to guys. 
Really? For <laughs> that? Yeah, interesting. To see if you help their COVID situation and then giving estrogen to women to see if they get less, you know, less COVID issues and stuff like that if you give them additional estrogen. So, you know, that, that estrogen is, is a good culprit as far as, uh, as, far as COVID uh, protections and therapies. Yes. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. It might be a little tangential, but it, you just like sparked a thought in my mind in that that estrogen, as we know, is cardioprotective. You know, it's good for your heart, your vascular health. As it diminishes, as our ovaries sort of like, you know, say night night to us. Um, what what is that doing to our exercise capacity? Like what like how are you know, I mean, that, what should we be thinking about there? Well, a couple of things. I mean, I think not only is it exercise capacity, I think it's also comfort, okay, that there okay. are some women um, who develop a significant amount of achiness as they go oh, through menopause. Oh, I wanted to ask about that. Somebody, yeah. I never heard about mm -hmm. that, and then I saw it yeah. on your site, and, and one of the women real. hit me up on my socials and mm -hmm. said, yeah, that sounds really great, except yeah. I heard all over and I can't, which sounds almost like fibromyalgia to it's me. Similar, it presents similar to fibromyalgia, and one of my favorite patients um, is a, uh, a physician uh, mm -hmm. who I help train. She's much smarter than I am, but I know a little more about menopause. But anyway, um, but a terrific person as she was going through menopause and she came in for a checkup, routine checkup, and she had been to two or three different rheumatologists for okay. her achiness. And it was muscular as well as joint type stuff. And oh, they okay. had done all sorts of workups for lupus and rheumatoid arthritis mm -hmm. and all sorts of stuff like that. Nothing came up. And she went to good docs. I mean, it wasn't that she was going to idiots. And her period sort of had, had petered out and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And she, the, the tragedy is that she was scheduled for one of these fancy bike trips in Europe like a Ooh. month later. You know, one of these oh boy. you know fancy ones, whatever. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. she was like, I'm not going to be able to go because I can't ride my bike. And she's a big biker. And I was like, this is not good. So I said, do me a favor. She I was postmenopausal? She was she about a again? year, about, just about a year after her last period. Just about a year okay. after her last period she came in. And she wasn't bothered particularly by hot flashes or anything like that. What she was bothered by was this miserable achiness. And I said to her, I said, okay. I said, here's what we're going to do. Do me a favor. You've trusted me crazily, perhaps, for things of the past. <laughs> take, this, take this stuff. And I gave her estrogen. And within two weeks, she was back on the bike. And she went in a month on her trip to Italy there, biking all over Italy. And she was fine. And she's, this is God knows how many years ago, it's what, 10 years ago? She's still on her estrogen. And she's still riding her bike like a mad woman. And so, so she was- So what's the connection then? We don't know, okay? Oh. Um, the issue that I personally think is part of the issue is that the joint fluid and stuff like that, the, 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 the synovium of the joints is getting dry. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, mm -hmm. lots of stuff gets dry with the loss of estrogen, the vagina, you right, know, our skin, right. things like that. And I think for some people, it's the joints. And I think that this helps moisture in the joints is one thing. But okay. people don't know. And the other interesting thing, which is really interesting to me, is that the prevalence of different symptoms is different all over the world. So, for example, oh, in the U.S., we have some people who get this achiness. But it's not a huge number of women. Mm -hmm. um, if you do this, if we were doing this in the Philippines, the number one complaint of women in the Philippines is the sakiness. I don't know really? why. Yeah, yeah. For example, or if you look even That's in the United States, if you look at different populations, African American women seem to have a much higher burden of hot flashes than Caucasian women who have a higher burden than women of Asian backgrounds. We don't know. I don't know why. And we have no idea. Nope. I mean, there's so nope. much nope. behind all that. Nope. There's a lot of stuff, but we don't know. And I, and I try to torture my medical students. And if anybody's listening and maybe a medical student want to go into <laughs> research, that 
that the, the person who figures out why there are these differences in symptoms and can even figure out the physiology of a hot flash for me will win a guaranteed mm -hmm. Nobel Prize. And as I say to my medical students, and all your mothers want you to win a Nobel Prize, so why don't you do this? Of course. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Just figure it out for me. I don't know. So yeah. So basically, so women with this achiness should consider a round of estrogen therapy, you mm -hmm. know, if they've got mm -hmm. it and they've seen six rheumatologists who haven't been able to figure it out. Consider a round of estrogen therapy. Okay. And as far as exercise endurance, there are people who do you know, lose capacity and stuff like that. And it may be related to some of the cardiovascular changes. It's possible. You will with age any, yeah. I mean, we, yeah. I mean, that happens to men too, yeah. right? Yeah. But well, uh... their estrogen levels are going down too, but just not as precipitously as ours. Men make estrogen. Oh yeah, they do. They do. Well, what, <laughs> that, which brings me, I mean, I, I'm kind of curious, does, um, cause women make testosterone, right? Women make testosterone also. What happens is that, is there a, is that a X factor here in menopause? That's, or does, that's a very so excellent question there, Celine, of course. And the issue is that the ovaries make, the adrenal glands make testosterone, so do the ovaries. Okay. Okay. And for example, we used to have, somebody had a hysterectomy when she was 52 or something like that, for whatever reason, most docs would automatically remove her ovaries and say, you know, why, why you're not doing anything? She's been through menopause. Why not take out the ovaries? Okay. Mm -hmm. And now current thinking is actually, unless the ovaries are bad or they, they have a very strong family history of ovarian cancer, something like that, we tend to leave the ovaries in somebody who's 55 years old because although her ovaries aren't making much estrogen, they are mm -hmm. making some testosterone. Now, they're not making uh, as much as they did when she was 35, to be sure, mm -hmm. but they're making some. The ovaries probably produce androgens, which is the category in which testosterone uh, belongs, for about another 10 years. Is that why some women get facial hair? Yep. They complain of that? Yep. Okay. Yep. And that some people, okay. because the testosterone to estrogen ratio is going up, their estrogen right. level is going down, and their testosterone, they're still maintaining some production, yes. Got it. But the levels all are these going puzzle down. pieces together. Yeah, yeah. Right. But the levels are going down. So that may be part of the capacity and the endurance type stuff too. You know, gotcha. that may be part of it. Now, do we give testosterone? Yeah. I mean, some, I've been referred patients to give them testosterone so they could ride their bikes better. <laughs> I have. I have. So anyway, and I've given them testosterone and they seem to be doing okay with their bikes. But anyway, so I prescribe a fair amount of testosterone um, as well. And testosterone is now officially approved by the North American Menopause Society and the International Menopause Society for improvement of women with decreased libido postmenopausally. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's now Which kind of leads me to a little off-topic conversation, but I can't let you go without asking it. I saw on your website that you toured cross-country lecture series with Dr. Ruth Westheimer. Very entertaining. Absolutely. I've got to know what that's, that was like. Well, it's it was a thrill a minute. What can I tell you? I mean, um, she's a wonderful woman. She's incredibly smart. She's She will say anything. And yeah. she's got incredible... Way back in the 80s, she was saying anything. she's got incredible energy. I mean, she just really has amazing energy. And a couple of my favorite Dr. Ruth comments, um, after we had given one or two talks together with me as the doc and her as the sex therapist sort of person, and she looked at me and she said, because I refer to people with a happy vagina. I like the concept of a happy <laughs> vagina. And Dr. Ruth looked at me and said, Mary Jane, I don't know if I was originally happy, uh, good with the term happy vagina, but now I like it. Happy vagina. So it's a happy <laughs> vagina. So anyway, so I would refer to ours as the happy vagina tour. The other thing that Dr. Ruth and I had a little discussion about 
was, I think it was the first talk that we gave together. And I made the statement, because we're talking about decreased libido and causes of decreased libido. And we can spend Right, this was hours. about postmenopausal yeah, sex. Exactly. People, like, we can yeah. talk, you know, we can talk about that for hours. So the question was, you know, is does dryness in and of itself contribute to decreased libido? And I said, I made a statement in front of our audience of nice ladies. I said, well, I said, only a crazy person would want to have sex if it hurts. And Dr. Ruth looked at me and said, Mary Jane, you shouldn't say crazy person. And I said, but Dr. Ruth, if somebody wants to have sex and it hurts, are they sane? And she said, well, no. And I said, well, you know, <laughs> you're a crazy person. Why can I tell you? So anyway, they are a crazy person. So if That's, they, they want to yeah. have sex and it hurts, it's painful. That's silly. Right. It's like going down a sliding board. Exactly. So and indeed, if I have somebody who comes in complaining about decreased interest in sex. The one thing I'll always say is your vagina is right. I'll say, well, of course, but that's not the problem. I say, listen, we got to fix your vagina first. Yeah. Okay. Right. Because first of all, I think it's a mean thing to do to make somebody want to have sex if it hurts. That's terrible. So anyway, so I want her to be comfortable. And then I must confess in, you know, three months it takes to get somebody a really great vagina. You know, three months you can get somebody a great vagina. But, and I'll say to her, you know, we'll have her reevaluate in three months and she'll say, how's your vagina? Oh, it's great. And you were right. My sex is fine now. I have, you know, good interest in sex. But about half the time people come to me and say, my vagina is great and I still could care less. That's a different no, story. That's, that's a different story. Which which brings us all full circle to like, if your vagina is happy, then you're running and you're jump roping and you're CrossFit and you're cycling. Exactly. All that is happier too. Exactly. Exactly. So you right. want everything being happy. That's very important. So three months to a happy vagina. Well, not it's not going to take you a full three months. What I tell people, okay. whatever intervention yeah. I'm doing, it may start kicking you. Because I could train for a good triathlon in three months. <laughs> Mary Jane, I don't know. You can do that, but the vagina is trickier. But the key thing is that you will notice changes in two to four weeks in general. Okay. But it may not reach its peak improvement till about three okay. months. Okay. What I can say gotcha. to somebody after three months of whatever therapy X Y Z or whatever we're using, I can say to somebody that's probably about as good as I'm going to get you with this particular intervention. You know, okay. If you right. need more, if you say, "Gee, I'm still uncomfortable," then I got to get you something else. Okay. I have to work with Excellent. Else. So the the take home that I'm hearing, you know, you've you've given us incredible DIY things that I can go to CVS or Dwayne Reed or wherever sure. and like try to help myself out. Mm -hmm. And if that is still not satisfactory, I should go to someone lovely like you or my Thank ob Jin and say, I've tried this stuff. It's still not. And then we can yeah, talk absolutely. about like a hormonal approach absolutely. or that kind of absolutely. thing. Absolutely. And the other mm -hmm. thing that I also want to tell everybody is, unfortunately, some people did not get a lot of good training in menopause. Uh, and that's a whole other lecture series here as far as why. Oh, you mean it. your doctor yeah, necessarily. Our, our, our doctors okay. may not know everything. So okay. if you say, gee, I, my, my, my doc and I are not communicating. We're not, I'm not getting information that I'm happy with. I can, I can find you a menopause doc anywhere. Okay. And what you need to do is you go to menopause.org, which is the okay. website of the North American Menopause Society. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you and go for, for patients. There's, there's a session for professionals, there's a session for patients. And you mm -hmm. go to find a menopause expert. You know, something okay. like that. And you can plug in your zip code and they will find you people who are active menopause practitioners. Excellent. So Excellent. if you're if you're bereft of somebody to give you advice and stuff like that, I can find you somebody, and it's, it's really gratifying because um, one of the people, I, I, what, another website that's out there is Red Hot Mamas, 
um, which is a wonderful support group for menopausal ladies. And I'm one of their, one of their uh, you know, uh, experts or whatever, you know, uh, advisors. Mm-hmm. And people will write us questions as far as, you know, what to do. And, you know, so if I, I will give advice and stuff like that. And then I'll point them to menopause.org to get them somebody near them that they can go see. And it is really gratifying when people will write back and say, oh, I saw, you know, so-and-so, uh, you know, who you know. Yeah, great. And I'm doing much better. I'm really doing much better. You know, they're great. following things and they're and they're feeling good. So, you know, it may be a little bit of a specialized area of interest for some people, but you can always find somebody not too far away. Excellent. Well, this has been really a treat. I got to tell you, I, thank you so much for your time. My and pleasure. Your humor thank and your you. Wisdom. I've I've really enjoyed it, and I know that our listeners are going to really get a lot out of it too. Well, I I want them all healthy and happy and having a good time. That's the important stuff. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Well, that's our show this week. If you want an even deeper dive on the topics that Mary Jane covered, you can check out her website at madamovery.com. Yes, that is madamovery.com. She's got lots of great videos and explainers and just all kinds of in-depth information on anything you want to know about women's health. And again, please share the show, spread the word, and if you have any questions or topics you want me to cover or just responses to me, I have an email. You can find me at hitplaynotpause at livefeisty.com. Drop me a line. I am all ears. And I will see you next week when my guest is the phenomenal Cherie Grunfeld. Cherie started marathoning at 42. She took on her first Ironman at 48. And well, she went on to win 13 Ironman world titles, including her last one at 71. Yeah, she is 76 years old now. And uh, eyeing up another one. You are not going to want to miss this one. Until next week, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, and please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends, and please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. Stay feisty.